We're going to continue in a series that we started over the last couple of weeks called Win the Day. What we've been digging into is the, this notion, this reality that tomorrow doesn't begin tomorrow. It starts today. How many of us know that? Tomorrow doesn't happen until we start doing what's necessary today. Now, along these lines, I have a question for you just to kind of prime the pump. Have you ever been caught in bad weather, right? Like you've been caught in bad weather. Like all of a sudden, it, all of a sudden, just the weather just changes on you and you're not prepared. You ever been there? Well, you know, the reality is that it does say something about where you were. You just really didn't prepare. Especially in this day and age. Think about this. Whenever there's going to be rain, there's usually a good indication that it's coming. There's different ways to find that out. Would you agree? Right? So it's a matter of preparation. I remember one time many years ago, don't crucify me for this, all right? You just got to understand, I was a different kind of kid. I know what it is to be in hell. I grew up with five sisters. I was the only boy. One bathroom. All right, it wasn't hell, but it's, it's pretty close. Right? It's pretty close. Right? But I remember one time, for whatever reason, I just saw the opportunity to take advantage of my sister's lack of preparation. And you got to understand what happened. My, my, my sisters, my older sisters, in fact, they did not, they weren't born here in the United States. So they came later on. They were teenagers. I was like maybe six, seven years old, whatever, when they came from El Salvador. So very different kind of world in the 70s and 80s, right? So uh, this whole thing of sidewalks and, and where we were living in Brooklyn, it was completely new to them. So it was raining and we were, we were prepared, right? We had, we had uh, umbrellas. So we're walking in the rain to school. And my sister, Norma, my second oldest sister, just happened to be walking to my right, I think it was. And I said to her, hey, Norma, walk closer to the curb. You already know what happened, right? So my sister listens to me, right? And there just, hap just happened to be a puddle there. I didn't plan this. Yes, I did. There happened to be a, a puddle there, and this bus was coming, and it just drenched her, right? It just goes to show that you really do have to prepare in many ways, right? So today I want to talk to you from the heart of God on this topic that I really feel the Lord dropped in my heart. As we look to his word, I want us to consider the topic, get ready for the rain. Get ready for rain. And I'm not talking about a storm like God's going to do something bad in your life. Listen, the scripture says that as the rain falls on the seed that the sower is sown, so his word is, that it shall not return to him empty. It will produce something. And friends, there's rain that God wants to bring into your life. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Today we're going to be digging into a portion of scripture in 2 Kings chapter 3. We're going to turn there in a second. But let me give you some background for what's going on here. Uh, there, the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, actually... Uh, came to be split. The reason why it split was because of some internal issues that they couldn't get over, right? And so it turns out that there was the king of Israel, which was this new guy called Joram, who had just become king because his father Ahab had deceased. And then there's the king of Judah, which was this guy named Jehoshaphat. And so what ends up happening is that uh, because Joram was a new king, they, his father had subjected a, their enemies, a group called the Moabites, so what ends up happening is that the Moabites say, hey, here's this young king, right, and we don't want to pay the tribute anymore. We don't want to be subject. So we're going to rebel. So they send them a message. They say, we're not paying you what's due. 
come get some, right? They got real hood, right, in whatever that looked like back then. And so Joram recognizes he's got a problem and he's got to deal with this. Because if not, this is going to create some other issues. So he reaches out to the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. He says, Jehoshaphat, would you come help me? Jehoshaphat says, which way are we going to attack them? What, what, what route are we taking to attack them? And so if you read the scripture in 2 Kings chapter 3, what you'll see is that it appears, uh, we know this to be true actually, as they approach the, uh, the desert of Edom, which is the way that Joram decided they were going to go, it appears that they spoke to the king of Edom to get passage through his land. But he joins them. So get this picture. It's three kings, three armies that have become one. One massive army, and they're coming towards the Moabites, right? But a problem happens as they walk through the desert of Edom. After seven days, they run out of supplies. And what's the most important supply that you need to survive? Water. So guess what? They're in the desert. They have no water. Not only do they have no supplies, they've run out of water. So they're in a heap of trouble, and one of these kings, Jehoshaphat, realizes not only do we have a problem, but we need direction from God. And so what ends up happening is he says, is there not a prophet among us? And the reason why he's seeking a prophet is because back in those days, it wasn't like it is today. You see, back then, God spoke through a specific chosen person. Today, we've got it good. Let me tell you why. Because of Jesus, the scripture says that the same spirit that now lives in him, that lived in him, now lives in us. In other words, God is near, friend. No matter what you're facing, no matter what's going on, God is closer, really, than your brother. Closer than your closest friend. He's always been there. That's good news. Would you agree? Come on and give God some praise for that. And so they call out, they, 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 they're, they're trying to figure out, is there a prophet? And they find out that this guy Elisha's there. And Elisha's like the real deal. Right? So they, Elijah comes and he gets a harpist and they get some worship music going and he begins to entreat God and he gets direction from God. Let's listen to the instruction that God gives them and let's see how this speaks to us in terms of getting ready for rain. Let me tell you why we're going to be talking about getting ready for rain. Because before it rains, you have to prepare. And we're going to be talking about this issue of preparation because you can't win the day and you can't win at life and you can't step into what God has for you if you don't prepare every day. If we don't prepare even this day. Amen? And so 2 Kings chapter 3, starting at verse 16, says that he said to them, Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. So watch what God's saying. He's saying, you're not even going to see the rain coming. You're not even going to feel the wind. All of a sudden, there's just going to be a bunch of water in this valley. And yet the valley shall be filled with water so that your cattle and your animals may drink. Now, it sounds like God is just simply addressing their issue of thirst. But he's actually got a bigger plan in mind. Verse 18 goes on to say, and this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. That should encourage some of us because for some of us, we act like, Con Edison goes out in heaven. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Central Hudson. Right? For those of you watching online from New York City, you know what I'm talking about. Right? We act like the power went off in heaven, right? Like a breaker blew or something. God says, no, this is an easy thing. He says, he will also deliver the Moabites into your hands. So watch this. God's got a plan. He's going to deal with their enemies. Verse 19 says, and 
uh, he said, you, also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and you shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. So what we're seeing here is that God has a plan. And you've heard that if you've been here any length of time, that God really does have a plan for your life. Would you agree with that? Amen. Right? God has good purposes for your life. Amen? God has a good plan for your marriage. God has a good plan for your relationships. God has a good plan for your career. God has a good plan for your purpose and the impact that you make in this world. God has a good plan through you and your community. But here's what many people miss, that the plan requires preparation. It requires preparation. Think about this. God had a plan to do the miraculous, but the people of Israel had to prepare. And how did they have to prepare? In the middle of a desert, right, in the middle of the Middle East, right, so it's hot. But it's not just hot, it's dry hot. It's like an experiment in hell, right? Like what hell must feel like? It's like sweaty hot, like uncomfortable hot. It's like bad hot, right? It's like Florida hot. I don't like, I don't like that kind of hot. You know anything about pastors? I could go there for about three days, and then I, I got to go. It's either that or I'm by a beach and just give me the water, right? But anyways, it's really hot. And in the middle of this, 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 this situation where they're at, in the middle of the Middle East, when it's hot, hot, like hell hot, God says, pick up a shovel and start digging ditches. He's not talking about little holes. He's talking about start digging some deep holes, like trench holes, like deep holes. You, how many of you know that that's sweaty work? That's hard work. And you're thirsty and God's saying, you're thirsty, but I'm, I'm telling you to do what's going to make you more thirsty. Now, I'm going to tell you why I'm giving you these details. Because the truth is that oftentimes when God gives us a plan, it does not make sense. As a matter of fact, it hardly ever makes sense. It doesn't. Look the way that you thought it was going to look. And God says, do this. But you see, we missed that it's preparation. And so you may be wondering how rain and these ditches would lead them to victory. I'm not going to get into all the details, but I'll give you some, some, breast, you know, some broad strokes on, on what happened here. God tells them, dig these ditches. They dig the ditches, right? All of a sudden, this rain shows up. All this water fills this valley and they're animals, and they've got all this water. But from afar, the Moabites who were watching them come see what appears to be blood. How, how is it that it appeared to be blood to them? I'll tell you how. Because the sun was glaring to such an extent upon this water in this valley that to them it looked like it was blood. So here's what they thought. These three kings are killing each other. Our gods have come through. Let's go get them. Let's finish them off. Let's take all their spoils. We got this. And so they show up and they find Israel ready and they get destroyed, right? That's a victory. Would you agree? But you see, if they had never taken the steps to prepare, they would never have stepped into their victory. This teaches us something invaluable, friends. It teaches us that the promise belongs to those who prepare in the present. Let me say that again. The promise for tomorrow, the victory that awaits you, not the one that you're waiting on, the one that's waiting for you, right? That breakthrough, that wisdom, 
the manifestation of your healing because it's already been provided, right? The restoration that you so long for that God promises you. The things that the enemy has taken from you that he has to give you back sevenfold, the scripture says. Those things, they are waiting for you and I. But we have to be prepared today to embrace it when we get there. Have to. So I want to just give you three things. Just three. Everybody say three. three. One, two, three. Just three little things that require reflection but also require application. I mean, we've got to do something with this, right? And I want to invite you to consider with me these three steps. We're going to look at one portion of Scripture. One portion of Scripture. And I'm telling you, for some of you, you've been desiring a husband. You've been waiting for that wife to come. You've been anticipating healing. You've been anticipating a breakthrough. You've been longing for promotion. You've been wondering, when is my time? When is it, when is it going to come for me? When are things going to change? And I am telling you, friends, that if you would simply follow the wisdom of God's word, and not simply follow the wisdom, but follow the God of that wisdom, you would see a breakthrough. And so you ready? Got to tell three people, I'm ready. Tell somebody else, I'm ready online, I'm ready. Come on, we're ready. The first point I want to give you for reflection and application is that, the, that uh, preparation without faith is preparation to fail. Preparation without faith is preparation to fail. Let me back up and let me give you those three points real quick. We're going to look at the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. Proverbs 24, verse 27 says this. It says, uh, prepare your work where? Outside. Prepare your outside work, it says. Right? So that's step one. Step two is make it fit for yourself in the field. Say that with me. Step two is what? Make it fit for yourself in the field. And step three is afterward, do what? Build your house. Three simple steps. But the wisdom contained in this proverb is chock full of, man, it's just gold. It gives us what we need to start this process of preparation. So as I said, the first point we want to consider is preparation without faith is preparation to fail. And I'm going to tell you why that's the first point. Because notice that Proverbs 24 says that we must prepare our work outside first. The word outside here in the Hebrew refers to what happens in the exterior of a structure before you start on the interior. I want you to think of it this way. Every building, every building project starts with nothing. The very beginning, it starts with nothing. There's no hole, there's no foundation, there's no framework, there's no roof, there's no outside walls, there's nothing. You know what that's called, friend? That's called the beginning of faith. Because it always appears like there's nothing. But oftentimes, the way we approach building projects... The most important one, building this project with God. We approach it from the inside, right? From, from, we we want to fill it. We want to have all the nice stuff. We want to give the appearance. We want to do all these things. But internally, we're dying. We're crushed. And it's because we never set a firm foundation. See, in other words, before you start building the inside of your life, your, your house, you must start with the 
exterior things that are necessary. What's your foundation? What are the things that hold your life up that give the appearance to people? You know, it might look good on the outside, but if the inside is rotten, guess what? It stinketh. That's King James Version, right? It's not going to work, and it's certainly not going to be sustained over time. And so what we see here is that we have to ensure that the preparatory work is done first. The foundation, the outer walls, what covers us, where we glean all that from. And the thing is that God told them to start working where there was nothing so that he could do something. Get this picture. God, we're thirsty. We're in the middle of a desert. We need your help. And he says, grab a shovel and start digging. It makes no sense. It's irrational. How is that a plan to succeed? But you see, in the natural, what God tells us always appears irrational. But we must remember that we have a God that is supernatural. In other words, he overrides natural rationale, right? His ways are higher than our ways, the scripture says. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We've got to look higher to go higher. We have to get past our own understanding. And this is where faith begins, friend. But we have to understand that if we're going to take steps of faith, if we're going to prepare by starting with faith, before we even endeavor to act in faith, we have to ensure that we fully trust God. Let me tell you what I mean. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. It says what? What's that first word? Trust in who? The Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, this is not talking about the muscle in your chest that beats. This is talking about the seat of your understanding, right? The seat of, 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 your, of your, your, your mind and your will, your desires, where that's born from. So it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own what? Understanding. You know why the scripture tells us that? Because how many of you know that our understanding has limits? So to access the wisdom... And access the way that a limitless God provides, we have to get beyond our limits. In other words, we have to chuck our understanding. You can't try and fit God in your box and think it's going to work. Verse 6 goes on to say, in all your ways do what? Submit to him. Submit to him. The King James puts it this way, acknowledge him. Right? In all your ways, submit to him. Submit to his ways, and he will make your paths, what? Straight. I want you to get this. If you want a straight path, the easiest path to what God has for you, it requires getting out of your understanding. Why? Because our understanding leads us to a windy road. It's crooked. It's crooked. It doesn't work. So the example of these men teaches us that before God asks you to try your hand at anything, he asks you to trust him. To trust him. Friend, to trust him. 
And let me tell you why this is so powerful. Because oftentimes we try to act in faith without trusting God. Let me tell you what that sounds like. Oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Right? We want to blab it and grab it. We want to name it and claim it. Right? We want to get all holy and mighty, but I read my word and I sing my songs and I listen to my praise music, and that is great. We need that. But what good is that without trust in the God that you profess to have faith in? Get where I'm coming from? We have to trust God. We have to have a full trust in God. And this is where faith gets wacky. This is where faith is like a granola bar. It's fruity, it's flaky, and it's nutty. This is where faith gets really wacky, right? I want to faith it without trust. And the scripture tells us that we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart. And we're to lean not on our own understanding. And when we trust in him, watch what happens. The crooked path becomes straight. See, these guys began to dig ditches in what appeared to be irrational. Why? Because they trusted in God. They trusted in God. Now, if you're going to win the day, friend, you have to start winning by putting your trust in God. Let me ask you a question. Here's, here's a good gut check for us. Do you find yourself trusting in God when you have need? Only? See, for some of us, what we call trust is really just... We're hoping this works. Hoping this works. Oh, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. But if we're trusting God, then we won't travail in problems. We won't, we won't, we won't, we won't grow weary. Right? Now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't get hard. It does get hard. Right? But we won't find ourselves giving up. Right? Because we trust. Right? How many of you worried about the chair being there when you went to sit down? Not at all. Because you trust those four legs on that, on that chair. But what I'm saying to you is that God is more trustworthy than the seat that you're sitting on. He's there. He cares. He's faithful. Amen? The second point that I want to give us for reflection and application is that God cannot deliver where you have not developed. Let me say that again. If you're taking notes, you got to write this one down. you got to write them all down, actually. you got the app. They're already there for you, right? But you, you got that little note section. Take some notes, right? And by the way, if you're on your phone, you might as well share it with somebody. You're online, you might as well share it with somebody. I'm telling you, the wisdom of God is worth sharing, Amen. How many of you know sharing is caring, right? Great, share it, right? So get this. Remember, the second point is make it fit for yourself. 
That's what the proverb says. Here's what it's talking about. It's talking about you get ready in the field. You develop. Make sure you're developing in the field, right? So as we start this process of working with God and allowing God to firm up the foundation, right, get up the framework for our lives, that's we're getting the truth, we're beginning to see how it all fits. Now all of a sudden we have to start getting ready with it, right? We have to begin to develop according to it. And so the second step of preparation calls us to start developing. In other words, at some point, you got to take the bobo out the mouth, right? Right? Bobo, that's, you know, that's a Spanish term for, you know, pacifier, right? You got to get rid of the pacifier. You got to take the bib off, right? You got to start taking some steps, right? Like you got to actually start trying what the scriptures say. This is part of development, right? And oftentimes, God's instruction, as we saw, doesn't make sense. And in this case, it made no sense. But friends, here's the truth. We can't afford to disobey God's instruction. Let me tell you why. Because when we disobey God's instruction, we also miss the opportunity to personally develop. We miss development. And... I love what the scripture gives us by way of example through the words of Jesus. We're going to look at just one portion of the scripture, but let me give you the backdrop to it in Matthew 25. Jesus, referring to development, referring to growth, right, referring to preparation, says, uses a parable. Now, a parable is just a story that he used to make it plain, to really make it simple and understandable to the average person. But the meaning behind it holds great power because it is spiritual reality. It is the kingdom of God being brought down to earth so that it could operate in the lives of people as they understand it. Got it? So here's what happens. Jesus says, there was a landowner, a master. And this landowner says to his servants one day, I'm going on a journey. But before I go on this journey, I'm going to entrust to you my possessions. And so he gives them what the Bible refers to as talents. These weren't pennies. This was a lot of money. It was very valuable. The scripture says that to one he gave five talents, right? To the other he gave two talents. And to the other he gave one talent. Now that might sound unfair, But it was actually very fair because the scripture clearly states that the landowner, the master, gave to each one according to their ability. Right? That tells us something. Now, if you haven't figured it out, here's here's what the scripture is showing us. The master is God. The servants are right here. It's you and me. Somebody say, that's me. Right? So he's given us all ability. And he's given us all talent to incorporate into that ability. He's given us things of great value. He's giving you a mind. He's giving you strength. He's giving you opportunities. He's giving you a family. He's giving you uh, influence. He's giving you a world to exist in. He's giving you people to connect with. He's giving you something to do. Amen? So he's given us all talents, and he's given us all the ability to manage those talents. So the scripture says that the master leaves, 
And the one who had five talents puts them immediately to work, the Scripture says. And those five talents multiplied. They doubled into another five talents. So five plus five equals how much? Ten. That's a lot of talent, right? He multiplied it. The second guy who got two talents multiplies it from two talents. He immediately puts it to work, the Scripture says, and he gets another two talents. Two plus two is four. Four talents, right? But the last guy takes his one talent and he digs a hole and he buries it. The Scripture tells us that he buries it because he had a misperception of the master. He thought the master was being mean to him by giving him something to do. He thought the master was being mean, and so he digs it into a hole and says, I'll give it to him when he gets back, right? How many of you know one plus zero equals what? One, right? He did not multiply it. Somebody said two, and we're going to forgive him, right? <laughs> we're going to forgive him, right? There is mercy and grace in God's kingdom, right? You need to stop messing with that common core, brother. Get back to the basics, all right? Anyway, what's the point with this parable, and how does it relate to God giving us uh, uh, um, working in areas where we first develop? Let me tell you how it relates. The point of this parable is that each one that did something with these talents developed the capacity to receive more of what the kingdom of God is intended to do. Got that? See that? Meanwhile, the other one did not. What's the point with this? I want you to see this. Each and every one of us has ability. Each and every one of us has talent that has been entrusted to us. Each and every one of us. But it's up to us to increase our ability to make room for God to work within that expanded capacity so that we can see an overflow, an increase of what God promises and what God says is possible in your life tomorrow by what you do with it today. Friend, listen closely to this. Listen closely to this because you can't miss this. This is where the third servant went wrong. He took what the master gave him, and he dug a hole and did nothing with it. And you know why he did that? Because he thought God, the master, was being unjust. But you see, God is just. You know why God is just? Because God gives you according to your ability. You know where we go wrong? We look at somebody else's ability, and we look at somebody else's results, and we say, I want those results and I wish I could do what they do, but meanwhile, you're doing nothing with what you can do. And because you're not doing anything with what you can do, you will not reap anything. Friends, we've heard the saying, the grass is greener on the other side. But you know what the deception is in that? That our grass can be green too if we would just water it. So instead of saying, I hate this job, why, ain't, why, why aren't I getting an opportunity? Well, are you being faithful with your talent? 
Are you being faithful in your ability? Are you allowing yourself to develop? You may be working in McDonald's today, friend, but because you started McDonald's, the scripture guarantees God promises that if you will flip them burgers and do it with the right attitude and show up every day on time and be a light in a dark place, the scripture guarantees that that will make room for you. The scripture declares that a man's gift makes room for him before great men. If you would appreciate the gift of God, if you would take every opportunity as a gift from God, if you would work it and praise God through the process and appreciate your development, God has room to do more. See, God is just. Let me put it to you this way. Would any of you give your child, your toddler, the keys to the car and tell them drive? Absolutely not. Why? They're going to kill you and kill themselves in the process. It's going to be bad. It would be unjust for you as a parent to do that. It would be unjust for God to give you a talent in a place where you don't have the ability to manage it. See, recognize this. God in his just, in his wisdom, in, in his just ways and in his wisdom, is saying, I've given you what you need, but be faithful there. So, Matthew 25, 21 says that when the landowner comes back, this master comes back, he comes to settle accounts. He says, what did you do with what I gave you? The one who had five talents says, master, I gave, I multiplied another five. The other one says another two. And watch what the master replies to them. He says, well done, good and what? Faithful servant. Well done. You know why he said well done? Because they were doing something. Right? Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with the what? Few things. Now watch this. The master calls much few. You know why the master called much few? Because you have to prove what he gives you. See, we, we look at much in terms of possession, in terms of accumulation. No, God says what I have given you is much within your ability. But now you work what's within your ability and watch what happens. He says, you've been, you've been faithful servant. He says, you've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of what? Many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Hey, we think happy is what we have. We don't know what happy is until we remain faithful. And we do according to our ability. Stop looking at what other people have and start working what God has given you. The last point I want to leave you with here is that tomorrow belongs to those who prepare and act upon God's word in the present. I'm going to say that again. Tomorrow belongs to those who prepare and act upon what God's word, uh, upon God's word in the present. I wasn't going to share this portion of scripture with you, but 
We're going to look in a moment at Psalm 127, verse 1. You can put that up if you like. But let me tell you why I want to share this. Because the third point, the third leg of this process of preparation that we see, according to Proverbs 24, is that uh, we have to start building in to take action. If you have some foundation, you're developing, right? But now that you've developed some strength, you have some tone to your legs, you have some ability to stand on your own two feet in regards to your faith and your trust in God, you have to begin to take steps. You have to begin to walk this out. You've got to begin to build with God. But if we're going to build with God, we have to understand what the Scripture teaches us. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, unless the Lord does what? Builds the house. They labor in vain who what? Build it. Unless the Lord does what? Guards the city. The watchman stays awake in what? In vain. Now, let me point something out to you that I was sharing with our couples this past weekend. I never saw this until this weekend as I was reviewing my notes, but I think it's so important and appropriate what we're discussing as we close here today. Notice that there are two builders in this process. Notice that. There's the Lord who builds the house, and then there are those who labor. Now, I'm going to tell you why that's so powerful. Because if you've ever bought a brand new house, if you've ever gone to a complex where they're building homes, it'll have a name of a builder, right? It'll say, Fernando Gonzalez Builders, Vasquez Builders, right? Robert Builders. But how many of you know that the name built nothing? That dude did not build anything. She did not build anything. The men and the women, the people on the ground day by day are the ones that did the building. But you know why the guy, the builder gets the credit? Because the builder has the plan. Because the builder funds it. Because the builder knows how everything fits together. And the builder's the one who supplies for the one who does the building. Now, I share this with you for a reason. Because oftentimes we try, we labor in life to build this life. But we don't have the plan, the backing, or the resources of the master builder. And so the scripture says this, when you try to build your way, when you try to build your life without my plan, when you disregard what I have decreed for your for your life, for your relationships, for your marriage, for your walk in life, for your career, for your standing, for your position, whatever it is, when we disregard the master builder's plan, whatever we build is vanity. You know, you know what it's talking about there? It's void of power. It does not work, friends. How many people are not living lives, having everything, and feeling empty? You know why? Because we're not following the master builder's plan. Somebody needs to hear this. Stop laboring in vain. You'll never accomplish 
what you set out to. You may have what you think you want, but what you want doesn't fill what you need. I think it's appropriate to look at the words of Jesus as we close here. He teaches us something about preparing and acting upon God's word. Matthew 7, verse, starting at verse 24, Jesus says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does what? Does them. Come on, don't check out on me. And does what? Does them. I will liken him to a wise man who did what? Built his house on the rock. Notice the foundation is set. Notice the outside work has already been done. You know why? Because that's what Jesus came to do. He set the foundation. But then, after the foundation, he gives us his word. He gives us revelation of the truth. He gives us what we need for life. And the scripture says this in verse 25, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house and it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. Friend, I want you to consider what God is saying to us. What he's actually commanding us. You hear my word, but I want you to do my word. I want you to build my house. You may call it your life, but your life is his dwelling place. We are not our own. We are not. But if that's where you are, I want you to consider what the scripture says. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Foolish, why? Because the foolish man thinks he can build his house on sand. You know what sand is representative of? Our own understanding. Isn't it interesting that our understanding fluctuates? It's like sand because it sifts. Our understanding moves all the time. It's a moving target. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that now we know in part. In other words, we, we don't have it together. There's much that we don't know. And you see, the man who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand and watched the result. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did what? It fell. But watch this. It didn't just fall. It's not just a mistake. This is the person who says, I am not doing what God's word says. And here's what the scripture says. Listen to what a just God says. When you do it your way and you reject my way, great is 
your fall. And God has nothing to do with that. He didn't do it because he didn't build it. These men were ready for victory because they were properly prepared. We know that because God said, and they did what God said. Friends, it's time to get ready for the rain because God's blessing is upon you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.